Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, welcome back to Ozfiz Live from our Barangaroo Studios. Great to have you company for the call. 10 stocks picked by you. Uh, I put them to our expert panel. We do it all in one hour. Uh, full show ahead. And um, joining us, Mark Morland from Team Invest. Mark, good to see you, sir. How good are you? Good to see you. Happy to be here. And Luke Winchester from Merriweather Capital is online as well. Luke, how are you, big fella? You well? I'm good, Koshi. Good. Uh, good to see you too, Mark. Um, a lot to get through today, so we'll get straight into it. Uh, this half hour, uh, Money Me, Vaisan, Close the Loop, REA and Orthocell. Um, stock of the day, uh, thought we'd take a look at Macquarie Technology, uh, raising $130 million via a non-underwritten institutional placement to expand its data centre business. It's entered a trading halt. The placement at a fixed offer price of $58.50 per new share. The company reaffirmed financial year 23 underlining earnings of about 102 to $104 million. And Macquarie expects its FY23 capex to be in the 60 to $63 million range. Um, uh, Mark Morland, uh, Macquarie Telecom, big data centre, bit of a darling of the market, isn't it? Uh, what do you think of the capital uh, Well, we use them for our um, hosting for Conscious oh. Investor and so on. So I've been a long-term client of theirs. And All right. Know, what about know, Investor? Uh, I used to be. Right. Oh. Years ago, and I'm really glad I sold them. Why? Uh, because the last few years, they've really done poorly. Right. And I was looking at it this morning, because I haven't actually looked at them for a while. And since 2018, they dropped their dividend in 217. And then 218 up to 222, it's been down every year. So the profit's wow. just been less, less, less each year. Um, and last year, it was 8 million, uh, which on a market cap of um, uh, 1.2 billion or whatever it is, yeah. um, it's on a P of over 100 times earnings. Now, the problem with that, is they're showing negative earnings. So the earnings growth has been negative 10.3% over the last six years. So earnings right. have been going down. The market's been kind to it, but it's been keeping the price up, which means the PE's been expanding. Right. And on earnings growth like that, 100 PE is absurd. Um, and I can't see, and also their debt load is very high. They've got right. um, debt uh, to equity 172% now. They had no debt in 2019 and prior to that. So the debt's been going up. So obviously the capital raids will help. Well. Who knows? Right. The point I'm making, though, is they're diluting the shares now by n- n- circa uh, 10%. Right. Because that's what that means. Yeah. Um, and now their they're CapEx are saying $60 million for next year or something. I haven't got into the details of what they're doing, but their debt at the moment on current earnings would take 28 years to pay off. Right. Yeah, before shareholders would see a cent. So, so why the turnaround, do you think? Why, why do you think in the market is treating it a well, the P has been high. P has been high for a long time. 
So it's not like it's right. new. Right. Um, it's always had a pretty high PE if I have a, have a look at it. Uh, so but always, you, were, you were an investor. You yeah. loved it. What changed your mind? It was. It, I didn't like the way it was performing versus the uh, the price. Right. And it's a very capital intensive business. Yeah. And don't forget, you've got Amazon Web Services and Azure yeah. from Microsoft. There's heaps yeah. of competition. But Macquarie's. Uh, telecom is big in the government space, is that Canberra yes. space? Yeah, and there is a there is a bit of parochialism in Australia where, and, and probably globally as well, where governments want to have their data processed locally. I yeah. mean, it, it it goes through the cloud to get there. Right. <laughs> but anyway, right. Yeah, anyway yeah. it is a factor, and that's been that's been good for them. But they're not cheap. Right. So they're at the expensive end. But I look at it and go, well, hang on, how come their um, their sales have been growing? Pretty consistently, six point five percent a year, not meteoric, but no. stable, ninety nine percent stability, and earnings are negative ten with high stability. So sales are going up, and they're earning less. I suspect what's happening now is because their debt overhang is so big, yeah. uh, with the rates going up, that 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 squishes that eight million profit just like that. You know, right. So, and it may right. be why the last year why earnings have gone down again. It's been dropping every year right. consistently. It's a big valuation though. Isn't it's it? ridiculous valuation. Right. I wouldn't go near the uh, the raising. Right. Okay. All right. Um, and next DC, similarly... I, well, I have to look at it. Yes. Yeah. Okay. It's not one that we, we follow. Okay, regularly. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Luke, what do you think of Macquarie Delico? Yeah, look, I'll, I'll be a little bit kind of the mark, but I completely understand where he's coming from. Um, so the answer to the question Mark was posing sort of comes from where Macquarie Telecom's come from and, and where it's going. So the core business of Macquarie Telecom was a, a telco business, um, you know, cloud services, very government focused, carved out a very good niche, capital light, plenty of earnings. Getting into the data center business, as exciting as that is, and you can see the you know structural tailwinds that cloud computing and data centers will have for many, many years. As Mark said, extremely capital intensive. And the problem is you've got to invest all that capital up front. You've got to build these, you know, huge data centers. And then the, the time it takes to onboard customers, you know, there's there's that heavy investment before you get that return, which you know comes through many, many years in the future. So look, I think for something like Macquarie Telecom, the market has been generous to it. I agree with Mark's view there. The reason why is I think the market's looking ahead to, to what this business is building and, and the earnings stream that will come through from the the, you know, the infrastructure-like assets that they're building. Um, I uh, don't own it with Mary with the Capital. I used to own it in a previous life. Um, I think this is the sort of business I would I would definitely hold it. I haven't looked too closely at the raise to be able to comment on whether you, know, you would take that up or, or look to purchase. Um, the main factor for why I would say hold though and be a bit more positive than Mark is you've still got David Tudorhope, the MD there who owns, even after this raise, he'll still own probably half the business. Um, and I think he's got a very, a very good, you know, strategic view of where this business wants to go and needs to go. And he's very much aligned with shareholders to achieve it. So, you know, the fact he is w- making this investment up front, mm. I trust him to be able to find those rewards at the back end um, later on. So I'll say a hold for the program, but I'll just be a little bit more positive, but completely agree with Mark's view. The market is being very generous in the short yeah. term. And if those profits don't come through, you know, you'll see that PE get crunched. Mark's spot on there that, um, you know, the, the market is, is definitely focused on the future, which, which needs to come through. It's a high risk if he doesn't deliver. But I don't see why, you know, as an investor, 
you're taking a very high risk on the assumption that they will deliver when they haven't delivered for, for the last five years. Right. So right. suddenly that has to change. Right. And I agree, by the way, the management's very, I have no issue with the management. Right. They're very trustworthy and they've got lots of skin in the game. But they're but, not performing. Yeah, they're not performing. And I right. suspect their debt is a real issue now. And this is, this is where debt comes back to haunt you. Whilst we had interest rates that were nearly zero, it was no big deal. So no. people have bumped up debt. Yeah. Now, I don't know how their facilities are structured. Right. You know, whether that's coming off or whatever. But if, when they roll it over, it's going to be at a much higher rate. And that's going to be a really big problem. Okay. Which I suspect is why uh-huh. they're doing the raising. Uh-huh. But I'm only, I'm only speculating. As you both say, it's a bit of a darling of the market at the moment. That's for sure. Well, you don't make money out of darlings. No. I, this has been my experience. Oh. Anything that's, well, CSL's a darling. Well, that's different. <laughs> <laughs> That's a quality business underlying that. Right, okay, all right. Okay, um, all right. Uh, Luke, uh, do you think money me is a, a darling of the market? Um, ben wants to know that, of course, uh, one of the, the fintechs in the uh, the credit business uh, has been on a bit of an acquisition trail recently, hasn't it? It's got... Uh, uh, cash loans, uh, personal loans, and a range of credit cards. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, their acquisition trails, what got them into a bit of strife, Koshi. So um, the business made a big acquisition, I think back in 2021, of a business called Society One, which is a peer-to-peer lender. Um, Took on a bit of debt to make that acquisition, and and that's what's gotten them in some trouble. Um, As as you've seen, the operations turn for a lot of these fintechs, um, you know, having to service that high debt load, they they simply couldn't do it, and and the business was forced to recapitalise. It's come up a few times for me on the program. I've always been pretty negative on it. I think I've said sell a few times over the last year or so. Um, look, as it stands today, though, at eight cents, you've got the share price chart there. It's down 95%. Now, look, this is a business, and, and I've made this point before, it can be a zero. These are the sorts of business, these lenders, um, you've got a huge loan book. It doesn't take much of a tick up in bad loans to see that the equity completely wiped out in a business like this. Um, now, the fact that they've gone through a recapitalization, they've got that cash in the bank, paid down their debt, their corporate debt. So all you have now is the warehouse facilities of the loans that they write. Look, I could probably say a hold for the business. I, I certainly do not have the stomach to buy something like this, particularly you know going into this consumer environment. Just look at the updates from the retailers and the discretionary names recently. It's clear that the consumer um, sort of post-Easter has really um, tightened the belts and started to struggle. And I think you'll see that start to come through for these sorts of fintech lenders. And maybe even the big four banks might, you know, you'll, you'll see some commentary from them on their consumer sides of the business as well. So, um, look, I, I'll say credit to management. They've, they've buckled down. They've stopped expanding their loan book. They're focused on maximising the loans that they've written. So far, the metrics are holding up okay. It's, it's where they're going that sort of spooks me. And I, I think conditions get worse before they get better for these types of fintechs and loan writers. So I wouldn't be I wouldn't be jumping in. If you're there, you've written it down a long way, you know, but just be aware that this is a business that even though it's down ninety five percent, it can still go it can still go to okay. zero just All right. um, so we're, you know, the, the we're, leverage they have. We're getting close to the middle of June. If you'd had it and written it down and you made some money on other stocks, would this be on your list to um, you know, to, to get rid of for the capital loss? Yeah, yeah. Look, th- that's a good point selling. of view. Like, 
for something like that, if if you've got a, a benefit in some way that selling the stock could could you know you could realise, then then you'd certainly think about it. Um, I, I, I sort of agree with that because as I said, I, I think it gets worse before it gets better for this business, and the market's certainly predicting that. That's just not me saying it. Um, you see that in the share price. Um, so yeah, that that sort of strategy does make sense um, unless you're someone who who does have an insight as to you know the, the longer term potential of the business, which I I simply just don't have to be yeah. honest. Um, uh, um, it's only got um, two years of. Oh, it's actually got, goes back to um, seventeen, actually, where the earnings were. Uh, there was no earnings per share. It's never made. Any, it's never made a profit, yeah. and then it dropped dramatically in two twenty two. Um, however, sales have been steadily rising over the period. So they, they've got an interesting graph where sales are going up slowly and earnings are going down faster. Right. right. So, the, so and when I say earnings, I mean losses. Right. So last year, they their sales were. 124 million uh, total revenue, and they lost 50 million. Right. So that's a 50 million dollar loss. So this is burning the capital in the business. So their return on equity last year was ne- negative 76 percent, which is right. basically more or less saying three quarters of their capital got evaporated last year. Right. So you can see why it's gone down 95 percent. Yes, totally yeah. rational. Yeah. I, I would see, not, and not knowing the people involved and so on, the industry has a tailwind. I agree with what Luke said. You know, with uh, from a retail and financing point of view. Not to mention there's Plenty of competition and plenty of new rules coming in yep. uh, to affect these uh, uh, fintechs and so yep. on, which is yep. all negative. So yep. for me, if I if I had run that down and I still only had five percent of my capital left, I would put that five percent into something uh, right. that was actually a, a decent company. Yep. Okay. So so sell. Yes. But then but then you've got um, fintechs like Judo. Yep. in the small business space that have been doing quite well. Yeah, no, it doesn't mean you can't make money in the space. Yep. I'm not yeah, suggesting yeah. that. Yeah. It's just that what you have to do is you, 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 when you when a company initially lists, you have to buy the story. So if you're going to invest sure. in it, and we don't do that. Yep. So we want to see the runs on the board before we're interested in investing. Yep. So they... These guys obviously had a good story. Everyone has a good story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it hasn't worked. It's been a shocker. Right. Yeah. So now they've done a capital raise for, you know, to get more money after after a couple of years, which is not ideal. Yeah. And why would you trust them any further? That's the way I would look yeah. at it. Okay. And oh. if you want to speculate and say, well, I'm, I've lost 95, there's only 5% less, I'll let it ride. Well, that's a casino bit and you right. can do it. Right, right. And a lot of people oh, say, well, what else have I got to lose? Well, 5%. you've got 5%. Yeah. <laughs> Luke? Koshi, can I just say something quick on the on the profit? Mark raised a really good point. So um, one thing I'll just add is, is be very careful around the accounting for these businesses because from a statutory point of view, right. they take a provision every time they write a loan. So the faster they grow, their, their, their statutory losses will actually grow with it, which is what Mark was pointing out there. If you go and look at the third quarter trading update, because they've stopped growing that loan book, they're actually going to report really strong statutory profits profits this year. Um, I calculated something uh-huh. like it and put them on trading on like three times earnings. So, you know, people will scan for these types of businesses and they'll look really, really cheap. Just be aware there's a very big difference between the statutory earnings that you'll see in the profit and loss and the actual cash earnings that comes underneath it. So the balance sheet by far is much more important than the profit and loss for a business like this. And the balance sheet to me is still pretty questionable. Right. Okay. All right. Good point. Another reason not to be there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, particularly when you've got a lot of stocks to choose from. Oh, uh, 2,200? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, Luke, our second stock, uh, Richard wants to view on Visan uh, in the water management and resources industry. Uh, Richard says it has multiple revenue sources in this area. Uh, Richard says the company increased guidance in May and it looks undervalued. Um, what do you think? It, it, it sort of... Um, is in that 
that water maintenance, if you like, um, area of mine sites in WA, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Look, I agree with Richard because I own it in with Meriwether Capital. And it's actually the stock I've most recently bought. So I'll say it's a, a buy for the program. Um, I agree with Richard. I thought the upgrade the other day was fantastic. Um, you know, basically took their full year guidance from about five million profit before tax to, to six to six and a half. Um, and they only did one and a half in the first half. So it implies a really strong second half and a really good run rate into FY24. Um, the big question mark for this sort of business is it's it's mining services and, and how is that cycle performing? What I like about Viasan is they are only contracted to tier one miners, BHP, Rio and Roy Hill, the three major iron ore producers. So I, I don't think they're as cyclical as some of those peers that you'll see that's exposed right. to exploration and some of the juniors. Um, so so what as- does it do? It, it- uh, provides water to the mine sites or um, takes the water out of it when they get flooded or what is it? Yeah, do? so, yeah, great question. So their core business is that second one. It's the dewatering rigs that you hear about right. as, as um, you know, you, pick, you particularly have these iron ore miners. They're starting to drill below the water table over there in WA. These uh-huh. mines are getting so deep. So dewaterings their their core business. But what I really like about them, and they're, they're quite low key. It's you know a management team that doesn't really go out and you know crow from the rooftops. They're taking the free cash they generate from that core business and getting into some really interesting spaces, particularly higher margin around consulting, engineering, testing, um, aquifer recharge, which is putting water back into the ground as part of mine rehabilitation. Um, so I really like the strategy behind this business. They've made some nice little bolt-on acquisitions, generates a ton of free cash, um, and on my numbers, trades about seven times earnings. The, the cyclicality is the risk. I think the mining cycle, particularly for that where Viasan plays with the majors, has some legs to it. So that's why it's a buy for me. And like I said, the one I've actually most recently bought uh, in the portfolio. Mm. Ma? Um, it's only got um, three years of... Um no, it hasn't. I take it back. It's got ten years history. Ten years, yeah. <laughs> it's got uh, what the earnings actually jumped up very steeply from two nineteen. So they've been on a like a, a rocket trajectory. Not earnings, sales. Right. Uh, it's, it's, I'm not <clears throat> seeing it on the trailing earnings yet, as far as the earnings picking up. I mean, that all looks uh, reasonable for us, though. It's on a much higher PE than what uh, Luke was saying. It's at the top of the red, and we're showing return, negative returns, but I don't know the business in detail. Right. So it's not something we've ever um, we've ever looked at. So I really, return on equity passes, but stability on earnings doesn't. Right. Because the earnings okay. haven't been very stable. All right. But that may be, you know, for the future, that may improve. Mm. Okay. All right. Uh, our next uh, stock, Richard wants to view, uh, Luke, on close the loop. Um uh, Richard says, another small cap operating in a space with significant structural tailwinds has quality institution on its share register, uh, such as WAM. Uh, it's in the reuse, recycle and st- sustainability business, developed a, a battery collection and recycling solution in Australia. What do you reckon of Close Loop? Yeah, it's an interesting business. It's, it's only recently come to market, a bit of an amalgamation of a few different um, businesses put together before IPO, which is always a little bit of an orange flag for me, which is why I, I've sort of kept half an eye on it, but but haven't looked too closely. Um, they made an acquisition over in the US very recently. Um, you can sort of see on the chart there back in, back in like sort of April, May. Um, and it was, you know, 
transformational gets thrown around, but it, but it's a, a very large acquisition, particularly from a revenue and an earnings point of view, effectively doubles the size of the business. Um, and it, it has the business trading optically very, very cheaply. They've, they've given some sort of um, FY24 guidance, which has a full year run rate of this acquisition of um, 42 million um, EBITDA compared to current market cap, only 220. And there's not a great deal of, of sort of working capital or, or capex behind that. So, so cash converts pretty cleanly from, from the EBITDA level, which is you know always good to see. Um, so optically, it looks really cheap. I can see why Richard's interested. Some institutions obviously interested as well. Um, I, I'm sure Mark's going to say the same thing, which is for me, I just need to see a bit more operational history with this business, particularly when you've had a few acquisitions come together before IPO, a big acquisition, you know, less than a year from the IPO. I'd like to see just a bit of, you know, let, hmm. let's see what this business looks like in a year or two, whether you can digest it all, you know, get the synergies that you want, not just at a cost side, but maybe a revenue side as well. Uh, but to be fair, you're not paying a price where you're relying on any sort of operational execution. It's it's pretty cheap just on the, the straight up statutory numbers. So definitely a hold for anyone who does own it, for, for other people like me on the sidelines. I think it's definitely worth having a look. But, but for me, I think the answer is, um, let's just see a couple more years of that operational yeah, execution. Wife. Yeah. Um, Mark, you always say you don't look at anything under five years with well, that's a right. run rate because the story to launch is always good. Isn't of course it? it is, yeah. And even the acquisition, you know, the uh, it's the US, I believe, is the US yeah, acquisition, yes. yeah. a big one. You know, the history of Australian companies buying in the US is not good. Yeah. I'm not saying it's impossible, but it's yeah. you know, more failed than, or do poorly or don't add value to shareholders and are successful. But look, the story Luke has come up with there sounds sounds uh, interesting. Just based on its numbers and its history, we wouldn't look at it. It just right. doesn't wouldn't doesn't wouldn't appear on our radar at all so I, and because of that we don't if we don't look at it then i don't i don't really have any extra nuance if you like i suppose right. what we're trying to do is say let's look at the businesses that are actually proven successful have a consistent earnings and we we think we have a view and on the future just like luke's trying to do on this one but yeah. we want to we really want the evidence there first right. and then that's where we hunt Right. So it doesn't mean, and it means we miss things because obviously something like this could go on and do really well and maybe it's a fabulous acquisition and yeah. uh, it's a real bargain. But I don't have the basis there to, from a prob- probabilistic point of view to be able to say, yes, right. it's worth the risk other than being speculative. Yep. Okay. Yep. All right. Something with a bit more history. Uh, Vic wants a view, uh, Mark, on REA. Uh, Vic says, uh, could REA hold up well in a, res- in a recession if the property market has a slump? Uh, well, that's a good question. And uh, I think REA, by the way, is a um, Team Invest Wealth winner. Right. So yeah. um, some of our members started investing in it when it was $7 wow. about 12 years ago. Um, and see, that's a good example of it because when REA listed, I think it listed at $2, don't quote me. Um, yeah. And then after about uh, four years, it was clearly dominating the market. So its business model was really working. Yeah. They were running a sound business. They didn't have any debt. Earnings were growing steadily. It was all good. At seven dollars. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So it'd been de-risked. So you could yeah. say you didn't make the five dollars you would have made if you bought it at the listing. But at the right. listing, you got no idea whether yep. it's going to work or not. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And management are a major part of this. Unfortunately for us, a lot of our members took uh, issue with uh, Rupert Murdoch being the uh, major shareholder right. and basically having effectively a controlling interest in REA. And the the fear always was this is going back twelve years. I'm talking. Yeah. Was that he might do something to that suits him that's not in the 
interest of shareholders. Oh. Therefore, a lot of members didn't invest in it, including right. me. Right. And it was a mistake, of course, because it's just done brilliantly well and he's never done anything bad. It sort of held up the News Corp share price. So it's, 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 I, I believe it's the biggest uh, part of News Corp's earnings now, is yeah. REA, yeah. in their global empire. That's how Amazing, much they have shrunk. Right. So uh, to answer the question, though, if you look at the history of REA, because it's the dominant player in the market and really dominant, not just yep. a little bit, it has a very, very strong network moat yep. where because everyone goes there to look for properties, then you've got to advertise there. And real estate agents have to advertise there. Real estate agents hate REA. They do, they, they do, they do, they do. But what they do, Because it's so big and and controls the market. They do. And the other thing REA does, it shifted its business model a few years ago. It used to charge based on uh, time, uh, not time, uh, to run an ad. They charge you for the ad and then you used to charge higher spots to get a more prominent position. These days, they have variable pricing based on value of the property and suburbs and so on, which they all hated that. So in other words, if you've got a more expensive house, you pay a lot more rather than it used to be. It's been very clever and it's significantly bumped their earnings up. So my my view is REA is is an outstanding uh, business and it's not going to be knocked off anytime soon, and we're showing it returning twenty nine percent per year uh, over the next five years on our default measures. And it's currently on a forty seven PE. REA is another one that's had a pretty high PEs, but yep. that's at the border of its the bottom quartile. So it's actually at about twenty six percent of its normal trading range. So it's. Underpriced at the well, moment. To buy, on your... If they continue doing what they're doing, you'll get, on our model, in five years, you get 29% per year. Margin of safety is 5%. Right. So that brings it down to five. So if you look at it and say, well, if, if our most conservative view is you're going to get 5% compound and you've got a good chance of getting, you're likely to get something in between there and 30 right. per year, right. I'd, I'd say it's a buy. Okay. Uh, Luke, what do you think of REA? Of course, um, it's also a tech business as well. And um, um, they, they're still talking up the, uh, the India uh, expansion as well. Uh, Owen, Wilson, yes, Owen Wilson is the managing director, so he needs, he's also a director of the Hawthorne AFL Club, so he needs a bright spot in his <laughs> life at the moment, which is his business. <laughs> That's right. Uh, it sounds like India is the, the the shining light. It's certainly yeah. you know they've, they've had some fingers in a few pies, but it sounds like that's the the one that's really taking off. And that's that's what you expect with that sort of almost venture capital style. You sprinkle some investments around the world, and and the ones that work, you you, you leverage up into them. Um, look, REA is a, a fantastic business. So I, I can't say much more. Um, the valuation is just the, the the tricky part, as Mark said. It's on forty seven times earnings, which, funny enough, is is in its lowest quartile, which I. I certainly believe it's a business that's certainly traded much higher in the past. The difficulty is in the past, it's probably given you more growth. Um, it's certainly, I, I think, sort of maximised that domestic market. Growth probably now needs to come from international markets. You'll get you'll get price rises and things like that here in Australia, but you know maybe the days of, of um, you know high teens sort of earnings growth are well and truly behind them. Um, so the question is whether that that sort of bottom quartile of the PE moves down over time and, and sort of maybe averages down into the 30s like other more lower growth quality businesses sort of average out at. Um, but I would say it's a hold for the program. I don't think you go and sell REA. Um, probably see some volatility in the earnings and the share price over the next little bit given the housing market jitters. Um, but, you know, as Mark said, what usually happens when you get these 
these issues at an industry level is a dominant player consolidates comes out the other side bigger and more profitable which i expect yeah, rea yeah, to do yeah yeah and sort of uh, to michael's point about a recession uh, could it be recession proved um sort of that's a tricky one and analysts say well in a um in a market that's in a bit of a slump um uh, property investors have to advertise uh, more premium just to, to get ahead of the pack when when it's in a booming property market they just sell themselves you don't well, there's, need there's, a, a premium there's, there's, I mean I think there's a there's been a growth trend in off-market transactions you know right. which a lot of the agents love where they don't advertise it and it's a great way for the agent to position themselves like in the eastern suburbs where I live in Sydney yeah, yeah they uh, quite a lot of uh, transactions they never advertise right so you know, like I've got I've got this fabulous property yeah, which yeah. I'll tell you about it if you you know yeah. if you, you if got you, all these buyers sort part, of missed you know, out yeah, yeah. so that, that's a, that's a negative for them however yeah. if interest rates keep going up or they stabilize at this kind of level at 5% or more that over time will force a lot of people to have to sell because when they have to refinance yeah. yes. and they come off fixed, they won't be able to afford it. And there's a lot of people with investment properties, yeah. don't forget, yeah. that they're going to have to sell. So if they have to sell, REA doesn't make its money based on the sale price. No. So they, they make their money on volume. On the, on the number. Yeah, so if, if properties are selling, they're making money. Yeah. It doesn't matter whether they're going down or up. I'm sure they don't care. Yep. Okay. All right. Our uh, fifth stock, uh, Michael wants a view, Luke, on Orthocell, the uh, uh, WA-based uh, regenerative medicine company. Uh, its uh, products include Cell Grow, uh, which is a collagen medical for um, issue repair and ortho ATI, which is a treatment of tendon injuries, one of these uh, med tech businesses. What do you think of Orthocell? Yeah, I had it come up probably about six weeks ago on the call, Kosh. You had a look for the first time and was much more interested than what I expected to be. Um, and, and nothing's changed since then. I sort of said speculative buy with emphasis on speculative. It's, you know, 70 mil market cap. It's a biotech. Um, you know, you've, you've got to understand what you're getting into here. But there's there's characteristics that you like to see for a business like this if you are going to speculate. Um, so Cell Grow, as, as the management calls it, is a, is a platform based around um, – you know, uh, regenerative technology, collagen-based regenerative technology. Um, and they're looking to monetize various products around the platform of cell growth. And, and what I found impressive was they're actually doing that. And so the main one is a, is a product called Striate, which they've sold a, a $23 million exclusive distribution license to a subsidiary of um, Henry Shine, which is the world's biggest dental distributor over in the US. Um, to me, straight away, like that, that that's something there. Like there, there's clearly a, a real product, a real technology, your real IP that you've been able to sell it to the world's biggest player for $23 million. Um, so they're expecting sales of that to start coming through um, into FY24. And that $23 million, I think, just underpins probably the next two or three years financial health of the business. And then the idea is to, is to you know, develop other technologies around it. So um, I jotted down uh, Rempleri, I think was another one, around um, nerve repairs. And, and to me, like if I'm going to speculate in this sort of biotech space, it's exactly what I'm looking for. Someone who has the ability to take a core IP, a technology, Try and apply it to a whole different range of areas, but also show that you've got the um, you know the commercial ability to partner with some larger players um, and, and generate some some revenues on the back of it. So I don't own it for full disclosure, but when I think about like you know how would I want to speculate at this end of the market, 
it ticks all the boxes for me. So definitely a hold for anyone who's there. If you're someone who, you know, as I said, emphasis on that speculative part yeah. of it. Um, but, you know, it, it, it's it's sort of what you're looking for in this space. So, so yeah, speculative buy from that point of view. Okay. Just to fully declare, a mate of mine was appointed chairman last week, week before, raving about it. Um, what do you think, Mark? Uh, obviously, I don't know the business. Yeah. Um, it's the emphasis is on the speculative. Yeah. Uh, I've never done well. I have tried in the past to invest in these uh, early in stage businesses with yep. an exciting story, and the product sounds fantastic, and yep. you know all of that. But there's a and this twenty million dollar sale uh, licensing deal, and I'm not sure if they get that. Where they get do they get the twenty million up front, Luke, or is it how's that work? <laughs> yeah, cash is in the bank. Oh, that's okay, what I found. Okay, so okay well, that's yeah. that's a big cool. plus. I'm not seeing that on here, of course, yet because it hasn't been reported in uh, when they for their annual. Anyway, um, the issue is very much uh, their ability to commercialise it, and as Luke said, they've they've licensed a twenty million dollar deal. That's material. Yeah. Uh, but it's it is nothing other than speculative. Yep. I can't. There's no way you can look at the numbers and say it means anything. Yeah. Um, but if yeah, it's 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 it fits that category. Okay. But it's not for us. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't fit your models. No. All right. Uh, let's recap the first uh, five stocks. Stock of the day, uh, Macquarie Telecom, a hold from Luke, uh, a no from Mark. Uh, Money Me, uh, a no. In fact, uh, a sell from Mark. Um, and maybe Luke is saying if you've made money elsewhere during... Uh, during the year. This is a classic tax loss sell. Talk to your accountant, get your advice. Uh, Vaisan, a buy from Luke and no from Mark. Close the loop and no from both. Um, REA, a uh, buy from Mark, a hold from Luke. And Orthocell, speculative buy from Luke, um, uh, emphasising the speculative, and a no from Mark. Uh, here on the call, we've been uh, tracking our own high conviction fantasy funders picked by the investment committee. Uh, the last committee meeting is live on the platform now, osbiz.com. So let's check the portfolio. Uh, going into June, um, South 32 was replaced by Altium. Uh, Woodside Energy was removed. Its weighting of 3% was split between CSL, Linus and West Farmers. So they were bumped up. Elders was uh, taken out of the portfolio. Its weighting was split between the newly added Vita Medical and RPM Global Holdings. So let's see how the portfolio is doing. It's up at 9%. Uh, keep sending in your request for the call because, of course, that's a filter to get up to the investment committee. This half hour, take a look at Dexas Peninsula Energy, deep yellow, bit of a couple of uranium stocks there, uh, Ventia Services and Group 6 Metals. Um, Carl wants a view, uh, Mark, on Dexas, one of our big property groups, mainly skewed towards a commercial area. Uh, yeah, I mean, and I think strong, strong position in office. Building. Yeah. So, I mean, if you look at real estate, it's interesting. I went to the uh, Berkshire uh, Buffett's AGM a couple of yep. weeks ago, yep. and he and Charlie Munger talked quite extensively about uh, commercial real estate. Right. Um, and Buffett made the comment, he said that um, uh, most of it's going to have new owners. Right. As in, it'll still be there, but because right. of the interest rates rising, uh, he said in the US, there hasn't been a lot of sales to then uh, show what prices are because right. people have been able to roll them over. So they haven't actually realized uh, uh-huh. the actual uh, a sale where the cap rate on how much return you want has to be realistic on the current interest rates. And a lot of them are on you know 4%, 5%, which is less than the interest rate right? You know, return, which doesn't work. Because that, that is the issue with these sort of companies. And inflation. 
Yeah. You've got inflation as well yeah. uh, in there. Now, the, the they, question they, is... They actually don't want to sell. They don't want no. to realise a valuation because then the ripple effect goes right the That's way right. through their portfolio. And then, of course... And it, other portfolios. And it also hits their, it hits their uh, profit and loss because one of the things I had a look at with, I just had a quick glance at DEXA, is their earnings last year, this is 22, were $1.6 billion on total sales revenue of 0.9. Of a billion, right? So their earnings are higher than their cash revenue coming in. So what that means is, in my simple way of looking at things, that's revaluations, right? So they're valuing the properties up, and that then goes through in the REITs as being a um, yeah. a profit. Now I would but argue there is massive anymore. headwinds, yep. and I think there's and, and Buffett they really took, they, they they talked about it extensively, and I know US is probably worse than Australia from the point of view of um, um, post-COVID office take-up rates. Right. There's still a lot of cities of 30, 40% empty. Right. Yeah, so that's a material. And yep. I, I know a lot of the companies in the US are planning on renegotiating their uh, leases or getting rid of properties. Right. Uh, I'll give an example in Seattle where I was based, the Amazon, uh, sorry, not Amazon, Microsoft built this massive new campus and then they decided that I want it. So, so uh, they're, well, not, they're just not, not it's taking. It's finished. The... It's finished. Nobody's in there, and they go, no, don't want it. What do they own it or they, some they, property no, group? No property. Would have, somebody built it wow. for them? Right. Yeah. Now I'm sure they had some contracts, so there'll be settlements, but they don't know about it Jeez. because they're they're reducing okay. in scale so much that there's less required. So you space. wouldn't be in any commercial no, REIT at no, the moment. Not personally, I wouldn't. No, and particularly. Yeah. If, if you look at some of the other REITs like uh, Goodman and so on, they're much more focused on warehouses, uh, warehouses and stuff. That, that, that area is doing well. Yeah. So it's, all, it's not one area, yeah. but the office space, particularly, I would, wouldn't go near it. Right. But I wouldn't go near any REITs. Right. Just okay. to be clear. Uh, even though they're on massive discounts. Well, I don't, it's only a massive discount if the cap rates going forward uh, don't go up. So if rates go back down low, let's say rates go back to zero, yeah. then they're probably they're all bargains. Right. But if right. rates go five, six, seven, or whatever, who knows where the, right. where it stabilises at? Then you'll find they're going to have another big discount. Okay, so That's probably the way I look at it. Don't touch them, uh, Luke. Uh, yeah, I agree with all that. I think I think Mark summed it up very well. Um, you know, the discount to NTA obviously assumes that the that the balance sheet valuations are accurate, and and the market is clearly ascribing a valuation much lower than, than what the REITs are, are valuing at themselves. Um, and you actually see that. Dexas, you know, uh, I only saw it today. They obviously snuck through uh, the attention of, the, of you know, uh, me last week. But they had an announcement where they sold a, a Sydney um, office property for 17% below book value. So, um, you know, straight away, that, that's the indication that the market's saying, yeah. you've got this written on your books at this value. We think the market value is lower. And when they've tried to come to market to sell it, that that was accurate. Now, of course, Dexas trades at a thirty percent discount to to the NTA, so you can have this scenario where you know the, the valuations are, are overvalued, but if the if the equity, if the share share market valuation is is even lower than that, you can still do okay as shareholders. Um, a six percent dividend yield to me is is not enough compensation for the risks around office, though. And I'd be focusing on that. Uh, it's not um, dividend distribution, whatever they call it. Um, I'd be focusing on that more than the NTA. Um, and if you're comfortable with the distribution you're getting from a REIT at the minute, maybe if it's upwards of 7-8%, um, you know, I think you can sort of stomach that. But with the uncertainty, as Mark said, particularly for office, um, that's not enough of a, of a sort of uh, safety net for me for something like a DEXA. So 
I'd be I'd probably look to exit Dexas. There's 72% exposure to Office. So I looked it up. So maybe look at some of those REITs that aren't as exposed to Office if that's where your uh, you know most of the uncertainty lies. Um, and but but yeah, just just in general, I think I'd be focusing on that on that distribution um, rather than the, the the balance sheet assets because the market is you know screaming loud and clear that they're overvalued, which I think is correct. And, and then just adding to that, inflation. You know, we've got mm. what, what's our current. Uh, headline inflation rate. Yeah, seven, just under seven. Under seven yeah. percent. Yeah. So the eight percent yield, yeah. uh, when you say the cash rate is going down by six percent, makes it even look more sadder. Right. Okay. Yep. All right. All right. Let's uh, focus on. Uh, we've got a couple of stocks from different viewers, but in that energy uranium space, Luke Gabriel wants a view on Peninsula Energy, uranium and development company. Uh, three areas in Wyoming, in South Africa, um, and uh, the Lanch Uranium Project as well. Uh, what do you think of uh, Peninsula? Not one I've ever looked at. Um, had a quick look this morning, and to be honest, the numbers didn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, you know, if you look at the at the feasibility studies they've put forward, the, the current market capitalization of the business is ahead of the of the net present value of, of the of the mine um, as per the feasibility study. And what makes that even worse is the is the price uranium price they assume in that feasibility study was $62 compared to $55 today. So what that says to me is the market is pricing in vastly higher uranium prices. And that could be true. I mean, you know, if you bring up a chart of uranium, there was the spike back, you know, just before the GFC around there, Um, prices could get back up to those levels. There's you know, uranium bulls um, have, have plenty of reasons, you know, mostly around Russia and being one of the largest supplies of uranium and sanctions on Russia um, and general demand for uranium as, as more nations pivot towards nuclear power. The, the issue I have is there's been bull cases for uranium for the last 20 years that it just hasn't really played out. And, and the main reason why is there's always supply ready to come online. We've got two stocks here today with huge resources uh, and, and, you know, supply comes on to meet demand anytime it, it shows up. So uh, this one, the numbers didn't stack up to me, I, I you know, unless you're a ultra uranium bull where you think prices would probably double from here. Um, I think it's a pretty easy sell just, just on the numbers alone. Yeah. Uh, Mark, the big... Um yeah, uh, Luke's quite right. Uh, Olympic Dam, one of the biggest in the world, just sitting there um, on BHP's books. And also uh, the uh, what was the Ranger and so on that are all yes. the mothball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah so uh, ready to bring back. But the argument is, if countries are going to reach their what are we up to, Paris or Kyoto, whatever emissions targets, they're going to have to get out of fossil fuels, um, and uranium can provide a good base load. Energy, so, sure. so sort of supply. There's not much uh, where, sign. Of, there's not much sign of that happening apart from China, right? And, and uh, I think Saudis and a couple in the Middle East, a few of them are building reactors. But there's not. Yeah, yeah. It's not like that is even the current theory of how we'll solve uh, right. climate change, is it? No. And then if it is, let's say it changes to that, and yeah. we real, they realise base load. You know, gas is a you know, interim. Then you need um, uranium. Um, uranium. That. Yep. That's a 10-year, 15-year. Yep. So it's a long way outside their investment horizon on this company, which has been going for 10 years, years has never made a cent right. in a decade. And yeah, there's no numbers in there that look even remotely interesting. Okay. What about DPLO, uh, which Laura wants of you? Do you, do you change your mind on that? Um, has a pre, pre-development project in Namibia. Of course, Paladin 
got hit pretty hard um, in that space because of its Nabibian interests in a, uh, a rumour the government was going to take over, which was denied and Paladin share price went back up again. But Deep Yellow seems to be behind Paladin on the development sort of curve as You're well. asking me? Yep. <laughs> okay, right. okay. It's not much better. It's, right. it's in Nib- Nib- Namibia. Yeah. I think the African places, I mean, one, one of the things that Chris Ellison said to us with um, their lithium assets in Western Australia, he said people are underestimating how valuable being in a safe uh, jurisdiction with okay. rule of law and no civil So Chris problems, Ellison from Mineral, Mineral Resources, Resources in yep. WA, and he's yep. saying how significant that is, you know, being in Australia. Mm-hmm. Right. So we don't really think about it that way. But if you're an international mining company, you know, setting up in anywhere in Africa, it's fraught. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you're all these risks. Yeah. Know, so um, uh, I uh, have zero interest in this as well. Same thing. Never made any money. Interestingly, over the 10 years, a few times they've got close to zero. <laughs> like they've got close to breaking even, but never managed to get through right. it, oh. even by a cent. Okay. So close. Real, real, a real winner. That's a real winner. <laughs> All right. Back up, back, up, back up the truck. All right, Luke, does uh, Deep Yellow interest you any more than Peninsula? Uh, look, more than Peninsula, so that's that's a positive. Uh, on the whole, not, not really, though. Um, the numbers stack up a little bit better here. So you look at what they've got in the ground and what it's worth. It's it's you know a much better proposition from that point of view. But then overlay geopolitical risk on top, and that's the problem. So so Peninsula, we looked at before. I think you said Wyoming, Koshi. You, you know, you, you've yep. got the US there, um, you know, similar to Australia, very established rule of law and, and you know, mining rights and tenements and whatnot. Um, and look, Africa. I think at times gets a, a bit of a um, you know a hard reputation. Some areas are perfectly fine, but you know every now and then you just hear those stories of mines being renationalised, higher taxes, whatever it may be. And and there's a reason why, as, as Mark said, Chris Ellison, I think. He, probably the best capital allocator in the space. Yeah. Um, there's a reason why a lot of people shy away and you do see um, big discounts put on to the, on the valuations of the assets they have in the ground over there. So um, I would probably prefer it to Peninsula if you're someone who, who desperately wants uranium exposure, you know, look at that. But probably go and look at a Paladin first or somebody who's, yeah. who's actually close to producing. I think Boss, Boss is the other one that... Um yeah, Boss and Paladin are the two yes. the two largest. I think, if not in production, you know, very close to it. Um, the rest of these guys, you're taking on a lot of, you know, not just bringing mines up to production is a risk in and of itself. Oper- operationally, geopolitical stuff on top for me that just gets a little yeah. bit too tricky. And 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 also, if you want to be really conservative and just have exposure, there's there's BHP that if the market goes berserk, it just reopens Olympic Dam. Well, that goes back to my point and why I've never been, you know, not just uranium, but almost any commodity. Um, you know, you, you hear the stories, very much the analysis focuses on the demand side and, and the, the analysis of why there will be more uranium in the future yeah. makes a lot of sense to me. And I probably agree with it. But the analysis usually falls short when people don't take into account, you know, how easily supply, maybe, sorry, maybe not easily, maybe it takes a few years for supply to catch up. But when it does, it always oversupplies and, and the market yeah. almost always comes back 
to that marginal cost of production. That's the definition of commodity. Yep, <laughs> exactly. It is a roller coaster. Um, something a bit more conservative, Mark. Brad wants a view on Ventia Services. Uh, Brad says, looks a solid, steady, defensive infrastructure business with an emerging technology twist. It, uh, it's a basic, basically a big labour force. Um, 35,000 yeah, yeah. people. People. Probably so, contractors. Yeah, 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 contractors outsourced to uh, yeah. resource sector, but not just resources, um, water, electricity, gas. Interesting, telcos. one of the, one of the um, uh, major shareholders is Simic. Uh, Right, yeah, yep. the, big, the big construction group. That's yep. interesting. So there's obviously some relationship there as well. But um, look, it's only been listed for uh, two years, <clears throat> or three years. Right. Um, so not not very long. Um, return on equity is good. Uh, EPS growth rate not enough. It's been too irregular for us to get a, a read on, and it's actually um, it's not made. It's made a it's made a uh, earnings. 22 cents per share for 22, that's the first profit right. it's made over, over the period. So don't know anything about it. Debt is pretty high. Debt to equity is 168%, which is above our limits by about double right. of what we would, what we would accept. Um, I don't know much else about it, so I'm not even getting any read on what the likely return is because there's not enough data, not enough right. data points for us. Um, the theme, though, the area with tight labour market. Well, I think that you've got a you've got a potential big risk with that as well, with what right. the Albanese government's doing with um, trying to get trying to trying to take away all these uh, contractor type agreements and turn them into employees. That right. you would think this company, and I don't know because in detail, would be a prime that would make it a prime problem because yes. your costs go through the roof. Because it's yeah. like with Uber, they're trying to say, well, we make Uber drivers employees. Yeah. So they have to fix shifts, all the things that. And mitigate, yeah. take it away from whatever it was. Yeah, and all yeah. the on costs yeah. uh, that go with it with super and holiday bay and long service yeah. leave, all that That's sort right. of thing. Okay. Um, what do you think, Luke? Ventia? Uh, yeah, not one I'd ever looked at, uh, but, but it was probably more impressed than what I expected to be. It was spun out of Simic, which is why that relationship is there. Right. Um, Simic have been selling down shares slowly over time, but but doesn't feel like there's anything untoward in there. I, I had a look, and the business looks pretty clean, uh, like from an accounting point of view. Cash conversion's really good. Uh, Mark highlighted the debt, which is what I was going to point out as well. That's quite high. It's probably the only orange flag that I mm. saw. Um, it's a business that can handle debt. They've got a very big um, work-in-hand uh, sort of pipeline and a pretty good visibility over revenue moving forward so you know if you're the cfo of this business you can you can sort of you know know quite well what your earnings will be your cash flow will be and and, and you can handle some debt i'd like to say a little bit lower um i think also what's interesting to me is mostly when i think about businesses and, and the advantages they have the moats they have i don't like to use size as a moat in and of itself i like some sort of technological edge or culture or something like that but these guys operate in a space where size is a moat like you look at the projects they operate on they're large infrastructure national projects and to meet the the needs of your customers you need a workforce of, of you know contractors thirty-five thousand people and all all around the country they can do any job anywhere sort of any time. And so, you know, I, I think that gives them that sort of advantage over smaller peers who may be sort of localised to certain geographies or focus on certain areas. They're, they're very much that that 
you know, a big catch-all, um, which I think gives them a nice advantage. Uh, trades on, yeah, as Mark said, did uh, 22 cents EPS. It's only about 10 times uh, earnings. That, that's taking out some amortization of some some acquisitions, which non-cash I'm sort of happy to do. Um, so it doesn't look expensive. I think it is quite defensive. I think the pipeline of that infrastructure, um, you know, where they focus is, is quite strong. Um, I didn't mind this at all, to be honest, Koshi. Um, it's, I'm, I'm a micro-cap, small-cap investor, so I'm not going out and buying Ventia tomorrow. Tomorrow, but right. um, the way the I don't have the viewer's name, sorry, but the way he phrased it as a defensive, cheap, you know, uh, sort of play, I, I quite like it, and, and would say, you know, this this is potentially a buy. Okay, all right. Um, what about changes in that? As Mark was saying, that that whole industrial relations, that sort of the move against contractors and casuals and things like that, does that does that bugger up the model? Yeah, it could do. It's, it's. Um, I, I'm, I'm aware of what you're talking about. The, the where I've seen it pop up and impact share prices have been the labour hire companies. Yes. Um, they've sort of said that they expect to see an impact from it. I haven't seen many businesses like this come out and sort of comment on whether it impacts their contracting workforce or not. Um, and I don't know enough about the legislation to comment, but it's, it's a fair point. Like, you know, th- that that is a risk because, as you said, this is labour government. Whether this piece of legislation directly attacks it or not, um, I think the thematic of wanting to shift people away from that ad hoc contractor style work onto you know fixed employment um, is something you'll likely see into the future. So it's, okay. it's definitely yeah, I think it's I think it's a, right. a, a well pointed out risk to keep an eye on for sure. Okay, all right, and uh, just harking back to uh, our uranium discussion on Peninsula and Deep Yellow, I just saw on our ticker Paladin up ten percent today, but of course coming back from that correction of, of the other week as well. All right, our, our final stock, uh, Luke. Uh, Frank wants a view on Group 6 Metals. Uh, uh, resource Exploration Development Company has a big tungsten mine on um, on King Island in Tasmania. You, you sort of um, look at King Island more for its, its beef and cheese rather than tungsten mine, don't you? Yeah, I know. I, I thought the same thing. I thought, uh, how'd they get this past the tourism board? Having a good time. <laughs> it's been, it's been uh, there. A, it's been there a long time, I think. Yeah, but before before, exactly before right. King Island got trendy. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly right. Um, so, so when when mining stocks come up on the call and I'm on, it's it's not my space. So so generally the way I attack it is, do I see just any glaring red flags? And when I looked at this, Kosh, to be honest, I, I didn't really. Um, as you said, this is a mine that has been uh, mothballed for quite some time because of low tungsten prices. Um, the cost to bring it back up to production is quite low, and they're hoping to do it um, pretty soon. Um, what I found quite interesting, though, is I went and Googled tungsten prices to see, you know, what they've been doing. It's a market that's very illiquid. There's no, there's no real spot market. And the top result for tungsten prices was actually a press release by Group Six Metals. So it makes me think that tungsten <laughs> is quite a, you know, very niche market that these guys are playing in. Um, but, but the other thing I liked was the, um, the CEO slash executive director who's come into the business, um, put his own money into it, owns 13%. So some good alignment, you know, very low operational risk. You're bringing an existing mine back into production. It was probably uneconomical at, at, at prices that, that you know you were receiving before. If you've got some sort of foresight that you know these guys can receive higher tungsten prices and and you know there's very little operational risk, it's a pretty comfortable hold for me. I, I certainly didn't see anything that would have me running okay. in the opposite direction. All right, Mark? Um, it's got a, it's got a ten year history of never making a cent. 
Oh, so still. And, and, and this is another one. It got to 2017, it touched zero and then went back down heavily yeah. uh, over the next five years. But so, you, look, you look at the five-year price chart and... That's prices. Uh, yeah. prices, prices is public opinion. A big opinion. run. Yeah. That's what the public are paying for it. Yeah. But really the business, yeah. there's no basis for it. Right. There really isn't. I mean, if now I think the argument of saying they're bringing the mine back into production and assuming they can... Uh, uh, produce the tungsten and sell it all and make a decent profit. Maybe it'll make some money. Look at that. 30, it'll be the first in a decade. Thirty cents during uh, thirty-two cents during yeah. COVID. I think. Isn't tungsten used in stainless steel? Is yes. That, yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. Hard, it's hard. They use it in um, lots of lots of things. Is is not, not. Is it a rare earth? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure. It's probably. Well, it's part of the uh, the G six metal group. Whatever. Right. That, right. Was in, that, was in yeah, the group yeah, six. Yeah. I'm not sure. No. Yeah. Um, no. So. No so, so in terms of resource stocks, you're really selective, aren't you? We are. Uh, you're a big fan of mineral resources yes. uh, and BHP, depending on the price. Well, no, we've that. never been big fans of BHP because they've been historically terrible capital allocators. So right. Same with Rio. But in both cases, they're actually arguably cheap, depending on your view of the iron ore price. Right. So we don't like commodities for that reason. Yeah. And tungsten's a commodity as well, but it's a niche commodity. Yeah. Yep. But it's the point is you don't know what the prices are going to do. So if, if the iron ore price stays up, say, over $100, then BHP on a P of about 8 or something at the moment, I think it's paying 10% plus dividend. Dividend, yeah. You know, you've got to say, well, that's amazing. Yeah. yeah but, yeah. you know, if it goes down to $30 or $40, and I'm not saying I know because I have no idea, yeah. then obviously it'll be a different story. But the market is pricing them on the assumption that the high prices won't stay, but they right. have stayed for quite a while. Yeah, yeah. So are you still a fan of mineral resources? Yes. Right, because it's come back a fair way. Yeah, doesn't matter. I'm, right. I'm, I'm in for the long. Okay. I'm in the long, I'm a, it's my largest position. I did, I did read a um, research report, I forget who did it, that said if you bought BHP in the low 40s, History tells you that if you buy around $40, $41, and it always spikes up to 50 at some <clears> stage <throat> and sell at 50 uh, that's all you need to do to get your 25, <laughs> 25% return. If it was all so simple. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the algos could work that one out. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. True. All right, let's recap the uh, the final five stocks. Uh, Dexas, uh, a sell from Luke, uh, and definitely a no from, um, from Mark. Uh, wouldn't be touching any REITs, property REITs at the moment, particularly those skewed to uh, commercial property, if like a Goodman to warehousing, uh, a different issue. Peninsula or sell, uh, again from Luke and O from uh, Mark. Uh, DPLO, no interest from both of them. Uh, Ventia, a, uh, Luke was impressed by Ventia and could see it as a, a buy. Uh, no for Mark because it hasn't uh, had long enough earnings track record uh, and group six a hold from Luke and uh, a no from Mark. Luke Winchester from Merriweather Capital. Thanks mate. Good to see you again. Thank you gents. Good show. All right. Talk soon. Mark Morland from Team Invest. Um, good to see you. The one, the If there was one thing you got out of Berkshire Hathaway's annual meeting, what would it be? Uh, that's a hard question. There's so many things, but uh, long duration is the the way to look at your investments. You know, right. They did it. Munger talked about the uh, if you buy Charlie Munger. Charlie how Munger, old is he? He's ninety nine. Ninety nine. Totally on the ball. You know, he's, wow. he's, a, he's an absolute genius. Right. Uh, right. But long duration. If you can pick companies that have got say seventeen, eighteen percent EPS growth and can, can do it for twenty years or more, 
how much you pay for them is a bit pretty academic right, on okay. what you'll do versus a company that's got, say, 6% EPS growth over 40 years, all you're going to get is about 6% return. Okay, so, wise advice. Yep. All right, good to see you, mate. Thank you. Uh, if you'd like um, us to cover any stocks that interest you, for me to put to our... Um, uh, put to our expert panel, osbiz.co slash callpicks or use our Twitter handle at TV. That's it for the call for today. Uh, we'll see you same time tomorrow, midday Australian Eastern time. Good to see you then. More of Ausbiz up. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.